Hello again. Welcome to the show. My name is Jay or John Spooner and this is the third episode in my attempt to honour and preserve the memory of Unlimited Theatre, an oral history of the company, how we formed, what we did, how we did it. This episode is a conversation with my co-founder and dear friend Louisa Ashley, who I worked particularly closely with for many years, not just in making and performing shows, but also because we were the main producers for the company through a significant period in its development and also after she'd left the company and became the chair of the board of trustees. So we chat about all of that, plus much more, including that time literally no one noticed when I was run over and hospitalised by a car. Lols. <laughs> oh, Gen X, eh? Welcome to the show. I'm glad you could make it. Yeah. Hmm. Well, we won't include that. <laughs> I don't think. We're not. Are we recording? Well. <laughs> yeah, but like I can say that won't. I can't imagine that going. Um, it's slightly odd, isn't it? Doing these things. Well, it's for me. I've done a few of these now. It's slightly odd, sort of then going. Oh, hi. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I was just going to say I like your shoes, actually. Thanks. I've had these what resold. They? They're Clarks. Oh, they're they're really years nice. old, yeah. and um, I've had them resold That's uh, because I really liked them. Thanks. Yeah. I really like them. Uh, but they've got a whole new lease of life now. Mm. And also, mm. because they, when they got resold, it means I've got an extra inch and I a half. I can't see. I can't see. I've got an extra inch and a half. Well, inch. Oh, okay. I think. Yeah. Which, uh, Very good. I'm all for which resoling. Yeah, yeah. Recycle, reuse. Um, so, who are you? <laughs> who are you? And how do, how do we know each other? <laughs> well, I think the first time I saw you was when I think you were doing an audition, but it can't have been for Torch Song Trilogy, because why would I have been sat in those auditions? So it must have been an audition for something else. You saw me in an audition? I think so. That's like, that's my oh, okay. memory. What was the first thing that you did? Was first thing I remember doing was torch song. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. maybe I was about that. Claire yesterday. And maybe I was just maybe I just had got popped along, in, or maybe it was a because I wasn't I wasn't involved in that at all. But I remember seeing you and going, oh, oh he looks like no. I said he looks like he'd be fun to to get to know. Oh, yeah. do you remember that? That's I do, cool. I do, yeah, yeah. And you were, you know, you were really good at acting. I just remember going, oh. I, I don't remember anyone else from that. You know, that's the memory that I have from that. So we met at university, but the reason we're here and having this conversation is because, well, it's been interesting for me actually talking to everyone, because I've spoken to Claire and Chris and Paul so far, now you, and I've got to speak to Liz. <laughs> But it's because I think of us all as co-founders of Unlimited. But increasingly, I'm like, I'm not a co-founder. It was the four of you, right? Yes, so I, I remember... Um, well, I remember being in Edinburgh, and I think it was when we were doing the Beano. So I'm pretty sure that was the summer of our first year. And I remember walking along up by the castle and having this, like, epiphany of... <gasps> this is what I want to do. I want to be in a theatre company. And I don't know that I... I don't remember if I sort of said anything about that to anyone or did anything specific about that. But then I remember at the... I feel like we were coming up to the end of our degree in the third year and I was sat outside on the grass in the sunshine 
And I think it was just Claire and Paul. I don't know that Chris was there. And they were like, oh, we're going to set up a theatre company. And we wondered if you wanted to be part of it. And I remember thinking, oh, wow, well, I haven't actually got any plans for after university. Um, yeah, so I, and just going, oh, yeah, OK. And that, that being the start of it. That's funny. Everyone's got a different... Claire was telling me that she thinks that it was Thorpe came up to her, sort of, you know the way he does sometimes, he gets in too close to you, like sort of came up behind her and sort of whispered in her ear, do you want to start a theatre company? And she thinks that he'd already spoken to you about it. And I was like, I never knew. <laughs> oh. Apparently it was all Chris's idea. Oh really? But that's Has... not, well, who knows, it's like such a long time ago, who knows how to remember? Well, unless it was... Claire and Chris that I was sat outside with. I mean, it was definitely Claire. Yeah. But I had in my head that it was Claire and Paul, but maybe it was Claire and Chris. But no, definitely, I don't think I'd been aware of it until then. But you'd already thought that's what you wanted to do. But that was like two years earlier. Yeah, yeah. And I just don't remember if I'd had any conversations with anyone about having thought that. Mm. So that's how you remember it starting, the idea of it. Mm. What's your memory of when it actually started? Well, the first thing we did was going to Alicante and Murcia. I can't even remember now, what was that even called? Babel. That was it, yeah. It's funny to me, I have, I have really <laughs> strong, vivid was, memories yeah. of that show because I wasn't part of it and I was like, I want to be, I want to be one of them, I want to be in that company and none of you remember it. <laughs> Well, saying, no, now you've said Babel, I do remember. Oh, gosh. And creating that was hard. Mm -hmm. It was really hard. I don't know if it was, was it even any good? <laughs> it's a good question. <laughs> I mean, Paul doesn't think so. No, I'm not sure it was. That's only become like a memory for you by, I suppose, me asking you the question. Yeah. What was that show? Well, I've definitely thought about it before but it's weird isn't it because we're talking about a number of years ago and your memory ebbs and flows so it's not that I've forgotten about it mm. I just haven't thought about it recently yeah yeah but that was 1996 summer of 96 right it was Babel was it not the summer of 95 no was it the year after we graduated? Because oh, you graduated 96, but so we graduated 95. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that was the summer of 95. Yeah. But I think all of us can gather around that the official start date for the company was 1997. First yeah. of January. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. You were then with the company until? August 2003. And a lot happened. It doesn't sound like a long period of time, actually. <laughs> It was a really very busy and very intense period in mm. our lives, right? Mm. Oh, and then you stayed on as well. Yeah. You were on the board and you chaired the board. Yeah. Until... 2016, 2015, yeah, 2016. So you had a long involvement yeah. with the company even after you stopped being a, a practising member. Although yeah. the chair of the board is a lot of work. In that time, what are your most vivid or favourite memories of Unlimited Theatre? That is, it's a re that's a really hard question to answer I think because there's like actual memories and then there's feelings mm. like sensations or you know that feeling of being part of something and with other people and that closeness and that 
challenge and that difficulty and the frustration and the joy and you know that like there's all that side of things so that whole thing about being on tour with people spending that very close intimate time with people being in the dressing room you know that the, the, those interactions and then there's the memories of the shows and just like thinking about the wide variety of things that we did which was partly why we chose the name that we chose for the company and then I was thinking the other day about remembering Anne and Mag and us doing that thing in the gallery with mm-hmm. the, was it a painting? It or was, was it a, a series of paintings that we an, were sort of responding exhi- to? Yeah, it was an exhibition of paintings. Who were Anne and Mag? <laughs> I mean, obviously I know who Anne and Mag are, but how do you describe Anne and Mag? Um, well, so Anne and Mag started life in Wise Maids. Which was a play. Yes, it was a play that Claire wrote, inspired by John Jenny's The Maze. But then then they developed a little bit more when we did the second version of Wise Maids, which was clean. And so the Anne and Mag that were in the gallery, Leeds Met Gallery as it was then, which doesn't exist as a thing anymore, were the sort of second iteration of those two characters and they wore maids outfits and they were sisters, weren't they? It was you and Liz. Yeah, me and Liz. I mean, frankly, terrifying characters. Hilarious and terrifying. Because I loved those characters. And the way that you two inhabited them so fully and were so locked in and together with them. Because the first version of that, which was directed by Paul, written by Claire, was this beautiful, sort of immersive, durational performance with a script as well, but that was very... I suppose arty and dark and then the second version which was clean which I directed was I think a, a bit lighter more clowny maybe yeah uh, yes was, yeah a bit more playful yeah and then those characters really coming out of the theatre and going into the gallery became quite scary <laughs> but it was a but it was a really interesting thing to do as a performer You know, I've often thought I'd be quite interested to do something like that again. You know, and I think it's because you're taking the theatre into a gallery Mm. and it's this response to something that's very static, but you've got this very physical but character-based response. But it also was quite a commentary on the art, I seem to remember at the time, but I couldn't even tell you who the artist was, you know. But that felt quite exciting, doing that. And it got a good response from the audience and it felt like it was quite different. Yeah, yeah. I don't think we'd done anything like that before or since. Well, actually, so I was just thinking while you were speaking, when I was speaking to Paul, we were remembering that he and Liz did a version of Shades in a night in the yes, warehouse nightclub yeah. and how we'd quite often actually taken characters or parts of shows out of the theatre and put them into different contexts and in that way maybe we're a bit ahead of our time you know now you talk about world building and different iterations and cross-platform and all that sort of stuff I don't know how exactly it happened if it was like because it was at the Leeds Met studio gallery Mm. upstairs from the studio theatre downstairs that you did that and I don't well, know it wasn't idea upstairs it was. it was across yeah. yeah it was at the front of the building oh yeah and the yeah. theatre was at the back of the building yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it became very performance art and those characters then appeared in like when we did it in Edinburgh that was the thing and <laughs> Mac would go out cleaning stuff yep. in Edinburgh you also on our 15th birthday party Anne and Mag were there greeting guests mm-hmm. escorting them up in the lift <laughs> 
I remember Rick, Watts' producer at the time, was genuinely like, I'm so scared of those. <laughs> they got in the lift with me and they started cleaning me. <laughs> and then you and Liz appear later, like nothing's happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was the 15th. Yeah. So when was that then? It's like 10 years ago, right. easily. Wow. I think it's the last time there's a picture. We've got a picture of all six of us, those original members. Mm. So we should do that at some stage. Yeah. So Anne and Mag was a vivid... Yes. And I remember, it's funny being in here, actually, because I remember we had some quite... Where are, where are we, Lou? Oh, we are in the workshop theatre, downstairs. Studio 2. In Studio 2, which has got a black floor. Um, it's got the curtains around it, but they're slightly open, so there's some lights coming through. But, yeah, being in this space doesn't remind me of being a student here, it reminds me of quite difficult rehearsal processes for Dead in the Water. Did we rehearse in here a little bit? Maybe. We did that show in what's now the Bannham Theatre yeah. across the road. Yeah, but also other rehearsal Can't processes. Can't believe you brought up Dead in the Water. <laughs> I mean, that's just not one that we talk about. I know, I know, sorry. Um, but yeah, other rehearsal processes, but it being, it being quite difficult, you know. What was difficult about it? I don't know, I think it was... Because I agree. I think part of the difficulty and part of the challenge for the six of us back then was, but also what was so strong about it, was the model that we worked to, whereby it was a partnership and a collective. But sometimes that meant there was a lack of leadership yeah. in the rehearsal room. And I think that that brought its own challenges around ownership and sort of really committing to what what is this thing? Do you know what I mean? I do. And knowing your place in it. And so I think that was the difficulty. Okay, who am I in this space at the moment? And what is my contribution? What should I be doing right now? And difficult as well, I think, because, and I've not thought of this before, so thank you for inspiring, inspiring this thought. But all the shows and the processes were really different. It was different every time. So you were always discovering. I think this is true of so much of what Unlimited's done throughout the time that I've been here, that we very rarely repeat or do the same thing or go through the same process for something. Mm. So it means you're always finding out, trying to answer all those questions, what is my role here? Because before Dead in the Water, we did like No Brave World, which was a shared devising process. Everyone was bringing a lot of themselves to it. Mm. Paul was, I suppose, providing the leadership for the process yeah, so through that. that. Yeah. Shades was then a process of Claire writing in response to a devising process that she and Paul worked on together, that then we were, well, you meet Liz and Chris were working as performers inside. Yeah. Uh, Dead in the Water was, it was Chris's turn to write, but he just wrote a script, right? And yeah. then that was much more like a play. So every time it's been different, you're constantly trying to work out your role whilst also being really tight with all the people that mm. are in it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there was always a pressure of time, you know, and I wonder if we'd have had more time to go off and research independently. But we were, we had to survive financially, so there wasn't, there wasn't the luxury of that time for that research and thinking in quite the same way and then bringing that into the rehearsal space. So, you know, it's, it's interesting looking back on it, particularly as you're older and you've done different things in life and you sort of understand how important that thinking time and that research and development time is. What was your favourite process? Oh, gosh. I 
just don't know because we did so many different things, didn't we? There was all the community side of things as well. Claire and I worked with the Hunslet Women's Group and did a piece with them called Visions and Voices. We worked with the primary school in Hunslet and the old people's home and did a, a sort of an intergenerational piece. And then there was Act Your Age, you know, and all, all that side of things was really enjoyable and interesting and, and challenging in a, in a different way. So it was like these two different sides to the company. But in terms of what my favourite was, you know, I don't... My favourite show. I think process, because you were talking about how difficult some of those processes are. But just listening to you talk now, all those projects, which are a big part of the company's work, like such probably more time spent making shows in contexts like the primary schools or Hunslet Women's Centre or working with um, Act Your Age, which was a brilliant project, which was commissioned by Leeds Met Studio Theatre, working with people over 60, right? And those processes, I think we were really good as a company in creating and leading those processes for other people, mm. but maybe not so good at doing it for ourselves. Yeah, I think that's, I think there's something in that, yeah. So I think that facilitating things and making those things happen, and like freak out, you know. <laughs> what was freak out? Why oh, did you laugh? Really? So freak out was um, a play for years five and six. So this would be nine to 11 year olds, primary schools, and it toured to all of the primary schools in Kirklees for two years. I Not consecutive years. years. Oh, I think, think it toured for a long time. I thought it did it one year, then not the next year, and then we did the year after that. Oh, maybe, okay, yeah. So, yeah, three so it years. might have been over a three year period. And it was a, a drug awareness piece for primary school children that we, we developed. I thought it was, a, it was a great thing. I think I directed that. I wasn't in it, um, but I remember doing the funding and liaising with Kirklees Council. Claire wrote it. Claire wrote I think it. I directed Chris was in it. every single performance of it. Amazing. He must have done that show. But wasn't Liz in every performance? Hundreds well? of times. She was in a lot of them, but not all of them, I don't think. So who was Liz in the ones when she was? Lee wasn't Dibble. Okay. I think maybe Claire did some of them. I, don't I might be confusing she, I that with Gilbert and the Goblin. But yeah. You asked why did I laugh at Freak Out? I think it's because I think it was you know it was an important piece of work for the community, but it wasn't wasn't where Unlimited was wanting to go. No, it's funny, isn't it? Although thinking back and how good we were at all of those things. What, what do you think we were about? Well, I suppose what I mean by saying that is doing the same thing for such a long period of time which goes back to what you were saying about we moved through stuff. You know, we did a lot of stuff mm. and we did a lot of new things and Freak Out was unusual because that was the same thing and it toured for however long and Chris doing that same thing over and over again. But that wasn't what Chris was put on this earth to do over yeah. and over. So that, yeah, yeah. that's kind of what I mean in the sense of you could have kept that model and we could have had, could still be going today, but with a new cast or, or whatever because... <laughs> It was a really strong piece of work, actually, and the workshop was really good that went yeah. with it, but it wasn't creatively where, either individually or collectively, the company was wanting to be. It was a means to an end, wasn't it? 
I think we brought a lot of ourselves to it and w had a huge amount of integrity to everything that we went into and wanted it to be as good as it could possibly be. We weren't just sort of getting a commission to do this thing and taking the money and running. There was a huge amount of love, care, prep, creativity, art that went into all of those projects. But yeah, they were often a means to an end. We, it was real hard graft. Mm. It was a way of us earning the time to then be in rooms that we found really difficult yeah. <laughs> to be in. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, doing shows often to very, very small audience numbers. <laughs> Do you remember Zero Degrees and Drifting? Yeah. Because I think that was the, that, was that the last but show. But was that, that called Could It Be Magic? So there was a first iteration yeah. where it was called Could It Be Magic? But then I, I don't think I was in, was I in Zero Degrees and Drifting? Because wasn't Could It Be Magic my last show? Was it? At Sheffield, but at you the Crucible. Were, you were part of the making process yes. for Zero Degrees and Drifting, but you're right, well, maybe you weren't in it. I don't think so, because I remember coming to see it. So I think Could It Be Magic was my last show, and I played a part where I didn't say anything until the very end. And I said the I Imagine oh, poem. Oh, shit. Hang on, so yes, Could It Be Magic was um, at the Crucible. Yeah. That was cool. You were the stranger. You were the original stranger, so there's the stranger figure in Zero Degrees and Drifting, which is like a, the next iteration of that show and project, wasn't it? It was the sort of bigger, yes, higher budget it, yeah. production values. And it's interesting. You were brilliant in that. Yeah, you were the stranger. Yeah, I was thinking about that the other day, actually, probably because we're knowing that we were about to have this conversation and thinking it'd be really interesting to go back to that. I think there was a video of it, wasn't there? That was a an interesting process which I can't quite remember all of it but I remember writing something before we or maybe it was part of the development of that show of someone kind of being washed up on the shore yeah and I think that's where that character then came out of that sort of piece of writing yeah but also how relevant that is now well that was what yeah like say 2002 2003 and that was essentially a story about tolerance and migrants arriving mm. and needing help and you think yeah all the stories about small boats and people exactly. dying in, like this week and that that character was there on the periphery was very much excluded and an observer and and the, the, the texture of that piece, it'd be nice to go back and feel the texture of that piece. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I feel that was the last most devised show that we made together, maybe. After that, it became much more written. Who was in? So Chris was in. Were we, we were all, all in. in. We were all Could in it be magic? Right. You, me, Liz, Claire, Chris. Claire was the curator of the museum. Yeah. Those beautiful big boxes. It was, it was, it was lovely, wasn't it? And Chris was high up doing the pirate radio. Yeah, yeah. And Liz was there doing her Marianne. plants. Yeah, yeah. What were you doing? <laughs> were you a, I was a, the other half of Liz? Yeah. I can't really remember. Could it be magic, actually? Oh, no, yeah, because I wasn't in Zero Degrees, of course I wasn't. We recast it. Yeah, yeah, I was the other half of mm. Liz. That was a good show. It was a good show. But I don't think it went anywhere else other than The Crucible. No, it was part of us being one of three companies in residence at The Crucible in the studio at the time. Right. It was us, Third Angel and Dead Earnest. Right. And they were brilliantly supportive. It was Angela Galvin and Graham, terrible that I can't remember yeah, Graham's can't surname, remember were really brilliantly supportive. Yeah. So I remember Michael Grandage was the artistic director at the time, and he came in to see it and was like, well, thank you for doing that. I would never do something like that, but I'm really glad that you have. <laughs> <laughs> I could remember thinking at the time, he's basically saying, yeah, this would fuck my career. 
I was to bake something like this. <laughs> yeah. Mm. And then you left. Mm-hmm. Made me so sad that you left. I mean, because we started working together a lot, doing a lot of the producing for the company, right? Mm. That's what I remember. I remember working really closely with you in particular, beyond making the shows to create the opportunity for the shows to happen. Yeah, I feel like I sort of a bit of a sounding board as well, mm. you know, and a bit of a mediator. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean by that, Lou? <laughs> well, Liz was in charge of the purse strings, you were in charge of the spending, and sometimes there needed to be a little bit of mediation between, between that. Yeah. Or not necessarily in charge of the spending, but you, you were good I'd at, be making the strongest case for how to, I'm really good, at, really good at spending a budget. So I remember sitting down with you and looking at budgets and talking through things, and you're going, I want to do this, and you're going, that sounds fantastic, John. Let's just have a think about how we're going to do that. Uh, yeah, <laughs> fair. 2003, you think you left? Well, no, I did, because I started doing a law conversion course in 2001, because it was part-time over two years. And, and I really enjoyed using what felt like a different part of my brain. I think Why if I could go back in time now, I would use that part of my brain, but in the theatre company. Really? Yeah, and see what happened then, but I didn't. What um, part of your brain was it? So why did you choose to do the law conversion course? And what was it that was missing in Unlimited for you that meant that that was such an enjoyable experience? So I think there was a part of my brain that I wasn't feeding when I was in Unlimited. And I suppose that's a little bit about what I was saying about if we'd have had more time and space for the research, mm. like the kind of academic theoretical research and then bringing that in. But I didn't have that time and space because we were busy. We've got to do this project. You know, I, I remember feeling quite overwhelmed a lot of the time being in the company because of spinning so many plates with all the community projects and the artistic stuff. and. Although I feel like that about my life now, so I think that might just be my personality. Um, but I think then, you know, I remember sitting and reading the first legal judgment. I remember sitting and reading that and just finding it fascinating, really interested in the legal reasoning and what was going on there, the, the challenges that the judges were dealing with and just, yes, and that was feeding a part of my brain that I don't think I'd been stimulating since my undergraduate degree. And then I think I was just, it was never a conscious, okay, I want to leave Unlimited, but I was consciously aware I wasn't getting everything and therefore wasn't giving everything of myself either. You know, there was a, a tension there. And then, because I really enjoyed the studying, then I thought, oh, well, I'll apply for some training contracts and we'll see what happens. So training contract to then become a solicitor. And I suppose I just kept deferring let's see what the situation brings, if anything. And then when I got offered the training contracts, thought, okay, well, I should do this. Because we knew for like a year. Well, you gave I was, us like a year's notice. Yeah, you? You said, at, at least, because the, I think it must have been more than that because I had the interview. Well, the telephone interview was two years before I actually started. And then there was an in-person interview after this telephone interview. So, yeah, I think I must have known about a year and a half before. Because <coughs> I remember thinking, 
Well, there's two things that I remember. One is you saying, telling me that you, part of the reason you were doing this because you'd just fallen out of love of doing it, actually. You weren't getting the enjoyment from performing in particular, I think. And I'd always loved watching you as a performer. Yeah, that's actually, that's a good point. I think I'd forgotten about that. You know, I had a bit of a crisis of confidence around the performance side. And yet, you know, I really miss it now. I'd love to do some performance again. And ironically, I think it was Edinburgh, safety. Oh, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it just sort of knocked me a bit, that. So that was a show that was written by Chris that was on at the Traverse. So that was like the first time we'd had like a show in a big theatre in that context. We'd always performed in the fringier Pleasance theatres and that, and then it was in the Trav. What was it that knocked your confidence about that? Because you were great in it. Really? Yeah. I think I must have told you I that. I don't think well. I felt great in it. Yeah. It's funny, isn't it? You look back now and I wonder if maybe I should have had a conversation with some of you around <laughs> how difficult I'd started to find the performance yeah, yeah. side of it. It wasn't an easy show. I'm not sure. I haven't spoken to Chris about it. I don't know how... I don't... I, that wasn't a comment on the writing. I think I, I found that part quite a challenge. I never felt fully invested in that particular part so you know when you feel like you're playing at something yeah, yeah. rather than embodying it and doing it so there was a disconnect there and it it just felt a bit ooh. and then I think there was a review and um, the review wasn't overly complimentary and I remember thinking oh, I don't think I've got I don't think I can take this mm. it's a mad thing isn't it I know that this gets talked about in the industry a lot but the idea that <laughs> Someone's going to publicly critique yeah. the detail of... And particularly, I think, as a woman, as a performer, some of the things that people continue to write is kind of extraordinary. And I can't, I can't remember now what was said, and I don't think it was anything, you know, really horrendous, but I just remember thinking, gosh, it feels a bit too hard. But did that come before or after the swing left? It was after the swing left the first time. Yeah, I wasn't just, in the I got run over that year in Edinburgh got hit by a car. Oh yeah? Had you gone out for a run? <laughs> I'd gone out for a run. Yeah. Got hit by a car, ended up in A&E. The police turned up to the hospital bed that I was in. I came round and there was these two young guys stood over me, clearly thought <laughs> I was dead. Open so my you'd eyes. been properly run over? I don't recall well, you having been... I, I thought you'd come back from your run <laughs> having been run over. I don't think I I came back realized. like I left the house the shared house that we were all staying in and like eight hours later I, I came back in my head and literally no one gave a fuck and I'd been run over I'd been in A&E the police had turned up thinking that I was good they would have been told to expect to have to go and tell my loved ones no. that yeah yeah and on the way back, and I'm in my running kit still, remember? They're driving. I just remember you coming back in and going, oh, I've been running over me. And, oh my God, are you all right? You look fine. Well, I did the show because I was operating the show. I directed that show and oh, I was also operating gosh. it. And I did the show that night, with no doubt. So they said, you bounced off that lamppost. <laughs> I lost a tooth. I must have had concussion. But yeah, did the show. Oh, it explains a lot, doesn't it? <laughs> See, this is why... Never been the same since. Gen X is the best gen. Just get on with it. <laughs> I mean, that's hilarious. I don't think we even noticed you'd been gone. I know, I remember being a little bit for hour at the time. Like... Where's the sympathy, people? Hi. Where have you been? <laughs> I've just been running. Just out. <laughs> yeah, that is so funny, because in my head it was you'd gone out for a run and then you just kind of came straight back, having been run over... 
because the police, when they were giving me a lift home from the hospital, they were saying, so what are you doing here? You're here for the festival. And I was like, yeah, I've directed a show. They said, oh, what's the show called? And I said, safety. <laughs> and they literally, because they were sort of relieved and also hysterical. Yeah. But they li- nearly crashed the car laughing because the show was called safety. Yeah. But it was after The Swing Left, because that was a year of the artist. Do you remember the year 2000 was the year of the artist? Okay, yeah. And Sheena Wrigley... We did that at Harrogate Theatre. Now... At home? Is she still at home? No, 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 she's running the factory in Manchester. Oh, okay. But Sheena was always incredibly supportive Mm. of the company, and she applied for money for us to do that project as Year of the Artist, a devising process, but it was also Dave Bowne... who was the Arts Council. Arts Council... What were they called? Drama officer. Something like that, yeah. Was very clear that he felt we needed to work with a writer, Mm. uh, a different writer to write for us. And that was actually a really good process, I thought. That was a good process, yeah. Steve Dykes was a really good leader in that. Yeah. And that was the most play that Mm. we've ever done. That was a good play. He wrote that brilliantly and he wrote for all of us in a way that I don't think we could write for ourselves or each other. Yeah. That was fun. It was. Proper period drama. The dancing was harder than you'd think. It was if you had to, if your partner was your partner, as it was for me, me and Liz. Liz absolutely point blank refused to accept that the man leads. <laughs> it's like, it's, okay, it's not me. This is, is, is it even the patriarchy? Is this just a very practical thing? <laughs> it probably is the patriarchy, to be fair. But, um, yeah. But yeah, we could never know the dancing. I was dancing because... with Chris. <laughs> <laughs> if you could call it dancing. And in my head, you know, my alternative career would be this amazing, you know, like musical theatre person. I mean, I just wouldn't because I can't really dance and I can't sing. But in my head, you know, it's all I've ever wanted for my children, but they've not taken it up, unfortunately. We were an experimental theatre company. I know, I know, I know. We I was, were of the I was opinion. in the right place. <laughs> That the musical was the authoritarian art form. That's what Howard Barker had written. I know, and it meant we couldn't do the Lindy Hop very well. <laughs> and what's your memory of like stopping being in the company? I worked really closely with you. You were a brilliant trustee and chair. And it was so important to me to have someone that I could really trust that had been in that role, like you describe it as mediator. But I just think that's like a really productive, close colleague working status where the yin and yang thing Mm. probably worked really well. Mm. But I had so many conversations with you about quite difficult things over a really long period of time. And I think it's really important to just recognise how vital that is when you're a charity and you're trying to run a company and organisation, particularly when it's growing and expanding and more people are coming in just to have someone that you can really be very honest with, be very open with about how difficult things are, but also share Mm. the load. I don't know how I would have done it without that relationship without you. Mm. Well, then it was really important. It was really genuinely important to me, you know, because I think without that, I may have been overwhelmed with grief because I remember coming back into like going to see shows and it was really hard. I found it really hard. It was like I'd done this kind of overnight Wurzel gummage thing where I'd taken one head off and put another on but, and then that just stayed on and then what, it, you know, it was quite surreal really. You look back, I was in a theatre company, then the very next day 
I'm not in a theatre company. I'm not doing theatre, which I've been doing for as long as I can remember. And I'm going to have a baby. And I'm going to go and work at a law firm. <laughs> what? It like, was quite surprising. It but... was, yeah. It was. I don't think I quite really appreciated what I was doing. By which you mean? I mean, I saw you, this extraordinary woman, studying f- to become a lawyer, being pregnant. I think you and Liz were both pregnant at the same time, right? But you were both studying and doing a career-changing study. You were basically giving birth when you were doing your final exams, right? Yes, I gave myself two weeks off. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and then at the the final exams, Mia was seven weeks old. And then qualified brilliantly to be a lawyer, a solicitor, and were also still staying really close with the company. I don't know how you do it all. as I say, I think it was it was really important to me to, to to keep that contact. So with the company, which I was very personally invested in, but also with the people, mm. you know, because you were like part of me. But yeah, it was weird then going and watching shows and not being part of that. What was the first one you remember seeing? Well, the first one that comes to mind is Zero Degrees and Drifting, but whether that was the first one I actually saw, I don't know. That must have been weird, yeah, because... But, I mean, it was beautiful. Yeah. It was really beautiful. I remember being really proud of it. And I think the production, it was really interesting, the production values of the company then, watching them develop and build into something quite different. So did it become easier over time? Yeah. Seeing and watching shows? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, and I was just really immensely proud of everybody. You know, I felt like that. You know what it's like when you go and see your kids? <laughs> But obviously it's not like that because that sounds a bit patronising. But no, that sound, just, no, I get the feeling. Just that yeah. feeling of love and, oh my God, this is just amazing what everyone is doing. And yeah, and I think there's always going to be that, it's almost like a visceral sort of connection. It's like we've got an, an invisible umbilical cord from, from that period of time. And, um, and whenever I see any of the other five people, I just want to be with them more. But yeah, so being, being on the board was, was wonderful. And I, and I probably would have carried on, but for personal reasons, I just couldn't keep doing it at that period of time, so. No, I mean, you'd given an awful lot to the company by that stage. Have you got any standout moments from like, after you left the company, I did that in inverted commas, um, because you can was never, that the left rather than the company the left, that was in yeah, yeah. inverted commas? Because you can never really leave. No. Right? Have you got any standout moments of things that you've seen, experienced? Oh, I mean, I remember coming down to London with Tim and the girls and meeting you and Liz and the boys and Chris Cottam actually, and they were seeing a show in London. What was that one? Was it a space one? Was it a sciencey one? Was it one? Mission to Mars? Oh, um, yeah, that was the it. Kids, our kids were really And there's young. a photo that you've got of them sat yeah, on the yeah, stage, yeah. you know, and it, it kind of became that kind of a thing. Uh-huh. And like at the Green Man and helping out doing a workshop. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. you know, that, and that, that side of it was really good fun. And introducing the children to Unlimited was a, a real highlight. And then taking the kids to to Edinburgh, to the Fringe. Yeah, yeah. And I remember you curating our itinerary. And some of the shows that we saw then were just amazing. So it's not directly linked to Unlimited, but it's kind of part of the, there is this world here, and it's lovely to be able to revisit and sit within that world, even though it's 
on the periphery rather than in the middle of the making and the doing of it. Well, you came into the space shed as well at Latitude. Oh, that was great. Oh, that was great, yeah. And you did some performing then. You did read some, some of your poems. Yeah, yeah. And the reason you were there was not... I mean, in part, it was like, do you want to come to Latitude? <laughs> yes, I yes, do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but also, that fitted really perfectly. It was a really lovely coming back together. That was 2019, wasn't mm-hmm. it? It was a really lovely coming back together because you had the poems that you'd been writing, which were great, and also the work that you're doing as a legal researcher yep. around climate and human rights. That's what you were talking about that as well. It was a beautiful coming together again of all of those things, which was perfect for that setting in the space shed. Yeah, I saw, talked a little bit about ecofeminism, didn't I, and chocolate. Yeah. And I've just recently, I was at an international workshop on reimagining victims' reparations. It was actually at the University of Huddersfield, but it was international because of the people that were there. And right up until the day before the workshop was starting, it was a two-day thing, I hadn't really figured out what I was going to do, but there was this creative methodology that I'd been wanting to play around with. And for a while now, I've been wanting to bring together the sort of the creative practice with my legal research and knowledge, because those two have felt very separate. Throughout doing my PhD, I was always thinking, oh, there's more that I can do with this, but I've just I've just got to get the thing written. And then coming across or being reintroduced to redactive poetry, erasure poetry, where you've got a piece of text and you go through and you redact part of that text and what is left is the poem. And the process of redaction is a, is a legal process. So when you're disclosing documents, if there's something that is, say, without prejudice, so that you shouldn't be disclosing it to the statute, but disclosing it to the court, or it's on the grounds of national security, so it gets redacted. And often you get these texts that then become essentially meaningless because so much of them <laughs> has been redacted, there's yeah. barely anything there. And then a lot of my research is looking at um, recommendations and this particular human rights monitoring mechanism called the Universal Periodic Review. Anyway, cut a long story short, I then thought, you know what, I've been thinking about doing this for a while, why don't I just do it? And so I used a particular database to draw together some information and then applied this sort of redaction to it. And at this workshop in Huddersfield, did a little bit about the theory and then performed this poem that I'd essentially written. And it went down really well and I, I, I really enjoyed it. So, Well, as you know, inspired in part by you, my plan is at the end of this year to go back to school to do a master's in law specialising in international human rights. So maybe we need to get back together to... I don't know what, work on something that crosses the streams again. Definitely. There's a lot of potential there. I saw this fantastic piece, I can't remember the name of it, but I've got it somewhere, Uh, a woman who was leading at her particular higher education institution on their Athena Swan. Um, So this is a particular mark around uh, equality, gender. And she then presented her findings through poetry, and it was just brilliant. Yeah, so. Is there anything you'd do differently, sort of looking back on it now, apart from being able to time travel and use your legal brain more? I remember when we were starting Unlimited, the advice was, oh, it's a terrible time to start a theatre company. <laughs> but it's a bit like, when is it a good time to start a theatre company? Yeah. You know, 
when has there ever really been that time and space for, and you used this word earlier, laboratory, you know, for that experimentation, which is really, really important, isn't it? And I, as you were saying, actually, I wasn't in the company from its formal 1997 to my departure on the 28th of August 2003. You know, that's what, five and a half years, isn't it, really? Although it was a lot longer than that, really, because I think it was probably from the final year of the degree onwards that myself and Claire and Chris and Paul were really actually starting to see connections between each other and our work and thinking, oh, there's something that's quite interesting there that's going on. But I look back and I see what the company was doing then, and that was its infancy phase. And then it really developed through, maybe it was infancy and adolescence, actually. You know, and it's been really, it's really matured and grown. And what I'm trying to say is, those foundational years where you're experimenting, where you're finding it really difficult, where you're working with different people, all of that is such an important part of that laboratory and that development. And yet there was no formal financial support for us then. And so we had to do, I remember we always used to joke saying, we'll do anything for money. You know, we we did so much, didn't we? And if the funding institutions had the confidence to actually take risks. You you think about the amount of money that gets written off and wasted in so many different areas. You know, no one would think twice, would they, about the amount of money in the finance sector that gets wasted and written off, the government trying a new IT system that never comes to anything, da-da-da-da-da. So why is there this fear around investing in this, the really early stages. Because even if those artists don't then come out with anything from that particular project, they will then go on and take whatever that learning has been into wherever they go. And I think this is another thing that's been really clear to me over the last three decades, is how important my three years here at the Workshop Theatre were for the rest of my life. You know, even the job that I do today at Leeds Beckett University, one of the heads of subjects in the law school, I'm using my degree every single day. Mm. And I just think there needs to be a massive shift in terms of how we think about theatre and experimentation and expression and risk-taking. So in terms of what would my advice be, it would be to really don't underestimate the value of the risk that you're taking and that actually there is no failure. The thing may not end up being the thing you thought it was going to be, but whatever comes out of that is really, really important for whatever journey you as an individual or as a collective or as a community or as a society or whatever are then going to go on. That's a very beautiful, very wise, impassioned call to arms. Claire was talking yesterday as well that she'd only recently come to know or understand that your brain doesn't stop developing until your mid-twenties. So I think that period Mm. as well, when you're working in that really intense way, you're still learning, you're still growing, you're still becoming the version of you. So to be that stimulated and to be allowed to make mistakes and to learn from them in that period is only going to be really helpful for you. Mm. And I agree with you on an ideological level about investment in people doing that. And I also wonder 
how useful it is. This might just be me being very Gen X now, but we had to work fucking hard to create those opportunities. And therefore I think maybe we valued the time that we were able to create the means to the end part of it in a way that we might not have if it had just been, well, look, you can do whatever you need to do. Having to work it out together as a group of people, I don't know, I don't know if there's as much value in that as well. I don't know, because it kind of goes back to that thing of how the work may have developed if there'd been more time to go off and do our own research yeah. or to have some research mentoring and you know how do you research for this or you, you know yeah, yeah, yeah. whereas we were so busy on that little sort of hamster wheel of yeah. got to get this done got to get this done but I think you're right in the sense of the work ethic was phenomenal wasn't it but I think that came as well from all each of us coming from backgrounds and from having personalities, I think, which were very hardworking in any case. And also because of the experience of working here at the workshop theatre, like you were saying, those three years where mm. you're given... That really was where we were given the opportunity yes. to just play, to experiment, to do that. Here's some ideas, here's a little bit of guidance, but really you're going to work it out for yourselves. Yeah, here's all the kit, here's how you use it, yeah. off you trot. Yeah. That was amazing, It was amazing. And even though I wasn't, when you were talking about um, the four of you doing that, I was thinking, oh yeah, I was in all of the things that each of you were making. And that was where I was, I feel like I was connected in that way. Yeah, yeah. it was a very good time. Mm. Um, is there anything else that you would like to make sure gets included in this oral history of your experience of what Unlimited is or was? Well, do you know, there, there were some really important people like Nick A, Amanda, Chris Jowett, Richard Boone. All tutors here. Yeah, here at the Workshop Theatre. And I think they saw something in us that we maybe didn't know ourselves. But I remember Chris Jowett going, do you want to be the theatre company in residence? You know, and, and I was thinking, oh, well, what even is that? And, you know, that having those grown-ups in the room going, look, you lot, you, you know, you've got something here. We're going to do what we can to try and build some sort of infrastructure to support you. And that, that encouragement, I think, was really, really important because it wasn't coming from anywhere else, was it? You know, certainly it wasn't coming from the Arts Council. No. So I think a massive acknowledgement of those people, Annie Lloyd as well, and, mm -hmm. and the people that you've mentioned along the way, Sheena and others. So many people, because over such a long period of time, there have been so many people that if you were to try to acknowledge all of them, you'd invent, there's no way you wouldn't miss someone probably. But yeah, I would love like you to shout out to all those people that we couldn't, we wouldn't have been able to do it, any of it without. No, Steve Dykes, who you mentioned before. Yeah, the I mean, it, it's, it, there's a fear of listing names because of yeah. missing people out. But, yeah, it, it wasn't ever just about the six of us, was it? But the six of us had a really good time <laughs> together as well. Uh, you know, and just, I've got some fantastic memories of, like, nights out in Edinburgh when we were at that Turkish bar and I was serving behind the bar and you know and you know it's a good night oh. when you end up on the wrong side of the bar <laughs> just all of those yeah the craziness of it all 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you, Lou. Thank you, John. Actually, it's been very enjoyable. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Louisa as much as I enjoyed having it with her. It's been so much fun talking to my excellent friends about all of this. Next time, I'll be talking to another of my co-founders and wife, Liz, which brings the added dimension of how you can and can't both live and work together 24-7. Please do consider liking, subscribing, maybe even writing us a little review on whatever platform that you're listening to us on. If you have any questions or comments you'd like to share about any of this, please get in touch on Instagram, Facebook, or if you really must, Twitter, where Unlimited is at untheatre on all of them. Or you can email me on j, just the letter j, at unlimited.earth. This podcast is written and produced by me, Jay Spooner. Editing and sound design is by Oliver Spooner. The intro and underscore music you heard at the beginning and during my conversation with Louisa was composed and recorded by David Edwards, a.k.a. Minotaur Shock, for Unlimited's 2009 production, The Moon, The Moon. The track you're listening to right now is called Tolo's Dance, written and produced by African Boy for Unlimited's 2023 co-production with Upswing Ancient Futures. Now remember really vividly AB sending this track through and both me and Vicky, Upswing's artistic director and my brilliant collaborator on this project, being so excited by its vibe and listening to it on repeat for days. We used it in the final sequence for that show and there is a truly beautiful moment when one of the performers, Azula, starts clapping the beat and without exception, every time, everyone in the crowd always joined in. You can see video and photos from Ancient Futures as well as listen to an epic mix of all of African Boy's music from Ancient Futures on its project page at Unlimited's website, unlimited.earth forward slash project forward slash ancient hyphen futures.
ancient futures. <laughs>